Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with me, Nicholas Feezy. Thank you so much. I, uh, I think she said it all. <laughs> I think that's a wonderful plan and a wonderful message for, for us, and I don't think we need to hear any more. Thank you very much. <laughs> I haven't been able to speak here for a little bit, so I didn't have anything planned yet, so that was perfect. Uh, I do want to make sure I acknowledge the people online. I think we always have a lot of people online, so welcome uh, if you're just tuning in online and uh, grateful that you're here in one way or the other, and especially with your uh, presence here at the chapel. So the uh, chaplain or minister, uh, by the way, my, my message got entitled A New Knee, A New Belief, for the new year, and I thought I should work in the fact that I got a new knee uh, <laughs> a couple of weeks, uh, well, three weeks ago uh, now, and I'm, I'm moving upright, and I'm, I'm grateful. So anyway, the minister stood up behind the pulpit and began by apologizing for the rather big Band-Aid on his face. He confessed that while shaving this morning, while shaving, he was thinking more about the sermon and happened to cut his face while he was shaving instead. After the service was over, so he apologized for the big Band-Aid. After the service was over, the church treasurer found a note in the collection plate and delivered it to the minister. It read, Dear Pastor, next Sunday, please think more about your face and cut the sermon. Okay, that's it. So I hope my message this morning will not be too long, but it just seems like I should mention that I did not cut myself this morning, but I did have surgery on my knee uh, in which the doctor replaced my bad old knee with a brand new one. I've had a couple bad knees for some time, including five different previous knee surgeries, I could not move very well, but I kept playing tennis and pickleball a few times a week. People were pretty patient with me. Uh, I kept playing this past year with a couple of cortisone shots until the inevitable became necessary, which was a new knee. As we know, there are a lot of people who have uh, had a knee or hip replacement. I saw some new person who said that I've had Three of them, all right, two knees and a hip or something. Uh, I think it's really become a, a certain status symbol <laughs> to have a new knee or a hip or, or both. At least I want to think so now that I've had one. And it's also important as to, you know, after you say that in the conversations, uh, well, who did your new knee or a new hip? Now, Dr. Kim KIM's name kept coming up for me as I was thinking I'm going to do this eventually and kept asking people. There seems almost to be some pride in people revealing their surgeon, like Dr. Kim or Dr. Lee with Stedman. When my main doctor here, Dr. Ann Mass, who I've been seeing for, I don't know, 40 years, told me that she also had her knee replaced by Dr. Kim, and she said she maybe couldn't get me in with Dr. Kim... <laughs> A few days later, I got a call from his office to make an appointment. You know, it's all about who you know. 
I'm telling you all this just to let you know how special I really am and what a status it has been for me. I also want to mention, to make sure I've said this, that thank Carolyn, my wife, for being a great nurse. Besides being have a, a wonderful knee surgery, I guess everything went, went well. The fact that I'm standing up here for you is indication of that. And uh, uh, I just want to thank her for all that. She's been a wonderful nurse uh, to me all this time and retrieving things for me. You know the best part of, of getting a, a new knee at Stedman? I had no idea they were going to do this, but at the end of the, the time, they handed me a handicap parking <laughs> ticket. That, when you're parking in Aspen, that's a wonderful thing to have. I'm not going to get rid of it. Uh, as wonderful it's been, it's not been easy. It has hurt, and the recovery takes a little bit. And yes, I've been on a lot of medication, Tylenol and oxycodone. I want to confess that this sermon has been written while I have been on drugs. <laughs> I also want to mention that, uh, you know, and the advancements in medicine, it, it's still a wonderful thing. I, don't, I looked it up, and I don't think they, they did knees until about 40 years ago. And then slowly they have improved upon, you know, having this problem. People had to live with this problem before. But isn't it amazing what medicine can, can do? Uh, I can't ma imagine what they did before. Or they had to live with this, this pain. Uh, what did people do? It's a procedure which is an enormous success, and just about everyone loves their new knees or hips. Most grateful for advancements. So my simple point this morning, to connect the two dots, reminds me that, and I hope this is obvious over all the years that I've been speaking here, but just as medicine and science advances in so many ways, so too should religion and spirituality in this day and age advance as well? My point this morning, there's an old gospel song entitled, Give Me That Old Time Religion, in the mid-1800s. Do you know it? Yeah. You want? No? Okay. <laughs> Give me that old time religion. It's a very catchy tune, but I do not believe it for a second. It worked at the time in the old times, but doesn't work now. So much of our beliefs come from ancient history when the world was flat and hell was below and heaven was above. And ever since we have learned that the world is round and is barely a speck in this expanding universe, we need to transpose our religious texts to fit into society today. And we can do that. We need to know the history and the context of our scriptures, not just in our, our Hebrew and Greek Testaments, but in all the various religions. We need to apply it for today. As science expands and medicine expands, religion must expand as well. Uh, a new belief has to conform to our new reality. As a groundbreaking of this chapel, it was read and established to this place, gather in 
lively encounter, leaders of religious thought. Two, redefine spiritual values to question, to see relevant answers in a contemporary world, even in a troubled world. I knew there were problems with the old-time religion I grew up with, and I have spent my life trying to correct those problems and redefine spiritual values for today. My purpose has always been to make religion real for today. I think there are too many churches today who are still trying to hold on to that old-time religion, and meanwhile, most churches are closing their doors. There's a lot of non-denominational churches who are thriving, so there is a mixture. I think it's more in some of the accoutrements that they have in the big choirs and the auditoriums and the screens. Uh, the theology, I don't know if it has progressed, and I don't know if it will last. I don't know. I wonder. I'm supposed to know. I've gone to three different seminaries trying to figure it out. <laughs> I knew there were problems with the old-time religion I grew up with, and I have spent my life trying to correct that. Religion has to be real. I think there are too many churches, as I said, who are hanging on while they're closing their doors. There's another old gospel song entitled, I Believe, which I've always appreciated. You remember that one, too? I could put it on my... Well, no one knows that I believe. Okay, the words are... I believe for every drop of rain that falls. Oh, now you know. A I should have had Barbara or someone sing it. A flower grows. I believe somewhere in the darkest night a candle glows. I believe for everyone who goes astray, someone will come along to show the way. I believe. I believe above the storm the smallest prayer will still be heard. I believe that someone in the great somewhere hears every word. Every time I hear a newborn baby cry or touch a leaf or see the sky, then I know why. I believe. I like the song. It's simple, but I believe this theology can still be good. There are many simple things of life that may we take for granted, but we are, when we think about it, how in the world, it's still quite miraculous. It's only because we see these simple miracles happen so often, like a baby being born, that we take them for granted and forget they really are miracles. To hear a newborn baby cry is a miracle and very real. I also want to say this morning that belief or believing does have a role in our lives, but we cannot stop with just projections of belief. It doesn't end there. It only begins. We've talked a lot about the problem of religion just being subjugated to a belief system, a regurgitation of ancient creeds, and this is still a gigantic problem. We must live out our faith in love. We cannot stop with the first step of belief, but take all the next steps past belief into action. We've attended a lot of different churches, and sometimes we... Carolyn picks out the church. It has the best music and the organ, and that's where we go. And sometimes it has, I don't, I shouldn't say any denomination, but uh, we've gone to a lot of different ones. And sometimes the message can be really good, but the liturgy, I can't say it. 
Some of it I can. I try to be careful with the liturgy here. Words that we can say. But I can't repeat some of them. A church or, re, or really any organization can be founded not just on belief, but on belonging and behaving. Starts with belief, but how it transfers in our life, how we behave. And it's wonderful to belong as well. If churches go or those are closing the door, how do people belong in a community? What sort of new community will take its place? Maybe the churches can figure something out and redo themselves somehow. Again, I don't have all the answers, but I've still been searching, and I'll keep searching. I have a doctorate in church and religion, and I still don't know. But I hope so, that coming together, together with people in worship and being together in community is an essential need. Thinking of the big questions in life is still very important for us. If we don't have all the answers, that's okay too. Bishop, uh, the bishop last week from the Methodist Church said, it's perfectly perfect to be imperfect. We don't have all the answers, but we still have something bigger in mind. We hold beliefs about ourselves. We hold beliefs about others. We hold beliefs about the world around us. Let me review a paragraph from Ron James. Uh, as some of you might remember, um, retired minister of Presbyterian Church out in Stanford, Connecticut. He came here and found himself at the chapel, and it was great to have him. And he says in his message that I looked up, belief system or spiritual path. He said, I've been trying to set the stage for saying one thing. Sometimes they say ministers only have one sermon. It's a whole variation from there, and I, I believe that's true. The church needs a fresh vision of its purpose and place in a rapidly changing world. And that is, frankly, as Ron says, what we are trying to do here at the chapel. If not here, where? If not now, when? If not, why not? John James continues, if what we've been doing has validity, is it appears to me that a major premise presents itself, we need to move from a belief system model to a spiritual path model of being a church or a chapel. I assure you the implications of that statement are far-reaching. Let me try to spell it out. Jesus was a preacher of the open heart and the ever-present spirit of God. His model was really a spiritual path model. He didn't invent creeds. He didn't write it down. He did not construct an orthodox belief system. The church forming after his death was a church of an open heart as well, an ever-present God. It had its problems, but it was the community of Jesus reflecting his vision, kind of a new vision of the one God who loves the whole world. He was including everybody else. And you think of all the stories and messages, he was including all the people who were on the outside into this Jewish faith, as you were. His primary job was inclusivity. Try to keep people from just being slave and free, Jew and Greek, male and female, rich and poor, the powerful and the powerless, the educated and the uneducated. Jesus left a legacy. Every person, regardless of social class or station, is equally loved. Everyone is in, included. Behind the enormous power of the church 
forming and growing in the first century lies a great secret. This is Ron James speaking still. It is this. The Jesus story created a fresh and enormously powerful social vision, vision that began to sweep across the Roman Empire, breaking down those rigid barriers that isolated people from each other. It created a new social and spiritual vision. In essence, it was a new spiritual path beyond belief, emphasizing God's presence and spirit active in people's personal lives. And that's from his book that we put together called Terra Nova, New Territory. 300 years after, after Jesus, however, the Roman church was born. And to oversimplify, it placed Jesus in a box, in a creed, and told everyone else to believe this and follow as well. And so, too, was the age of belief born and sustained with the power and authority. The Roman Catholic Church became the cathedral of beliefs. People followed the pope and the priests. They could not even read the Bible on their own. Mass education did not exist. The Roman church dictated beliefs and parishioners followed for a thousand years. This existed until one priest by the name of Martin. I'm oversimplifying. But this existed until one priest by the name of Martin Luther eliminated the middleman, the pope, and handed, on, handed out Bibles for people to read for themselves. <laughs> they got the Bibles in the hand. All they had to do now is learn how to read. <laughs> Origin of mass education is often accompanied as historians would say, with the Renaissance and the Reformation. That's when it started. Gutenberg said, you know, I can make a lot of these all at once. If you have a Gutenberg original Bible in your home, let me know. I'd like to borrow it. <laughs> when they read it on their own, they began to think for themselves. Of course, that made a lot of separations in a whole lot of different denominations. But the point is it was, became new, and it became beyond belief as well, beyond the Catholic Church. The role of belief and belonging and behaving uh, became one of the biggest paradigmatic changes in the past 1,000 years. And I would attribute that to the Reformation. Uh, uh, Bill Gates said, the greatest invention in the past was the printing press because we could have mass, it, it led to mass education. Now, of course, he said the computer is doing the same thing today and what that will lead to. Uh, they say that spirituality and religious uh, content on the computers and the Internet is one of the largest uh, subjects matter. I, and I read this a while ago. I don't know if it still is or not, but I also read what the first one was, which I can't mention right now. Harvey Cox of Harvard in his book, The Future of Faith, states that during the time of Jesus and the beginning of the church was the age of faith. Then after beginning the Roman church, age of belief. Today we've gone an age of spirit. We are indeed in a time of a new reformation. Today, this beginning of the 21st century, all of this being said, let me say something about the belief, a good belief, a new belief, if you will, that corresponds to the age of the spirit. Diana Butler Bass has written a book called Christianity After Religion. She states, and that's an interesting title by itself. She states, belief is the intellectual content of faith. Personally, I believe in this statement. What we believe must have a reasonable 
and rational content. I say this knowing that belief and reason do not necessarily have a correlation for many people today, but for me it's inseparable. What we believe needs to make sense. Sometimes we do indeed need to take various leaps of faith, but these still must be accompanied by reason as well. Personally, however, uh, I try to couple that. I, I don't take too many leaps in my life. I've never bungee jumped and I'm never going to. I also use MapQuest when I go to Glenwood Springs. <laughs> I don't take too many leaps, but I want to know that my faith is reasonable. Diana Bass states that belief is the intellectual content. She also states that faith is less about believing and more simply about living. Christianity is changing, shifting away from being a belief-centered religion toward an experiential faith. We want the experience together, community. She affirms Harvey Koch's postulation, in the age of faith was a time of faith in Jesus. The age of belief, a period of just belief about Christ. The age of spirit is best understood as Christianity-based an experience of Jesus and spirit as we live it out. Cox claims while dogma is dying, the spiritual, communal, and justice-seeking dimensions of Christianity are now its leading edge. A religion solely based on subs subscribing to mandatory beliefs is no longer viable. Accordingly, Christianity is moving from, a being, from being a religion about God to an experience of God, or it should be. One of my favorite professors, Marcus Borg, reminded us that the word belief, believe, did not originally mean a set of doc, believing a set of doctrines. In both Greek and Latin, its roots means to give one's heart to. I believe, but more than that, I will go. Believe can be understood as to be love. The heart is a self at its deepest level does not need to consist of just giving one's mental assertion, but can involve a deeper level of oneself. It can literally mean to give one's heart, oneself at its deepest level. The post-Easter Jesus, who is a living Lord, the side of God, turn toward us, the fact of God, the Lord, who is also the Spirit. And that's in a book called Meeting Jesus Again for the First Time. So, how we believe opens the door to belief as an act of love and faithfulness. Just of the great words coming from a parent, a partner, a friend who says, I believe in you. It's a wonderful thing to hear. Be behind you. Reminds me of a story, and I can kind of conclude with this, of a wheelbarrow. I, I, I think I've probably used this example before. A wheelbarrow and a tightrope. A tightrope walker is about to push a wheelbarrow across the Grand Canyon on a tightrope. He asks the crowd watching if they believe he can do this. They all cheer, yes, yes. He then asks someone real close to him before he starts, do you believe I can do this? And the man replies, yes, I believe you can do this. And of course, you know the end of this story. He says, great, get in. <laughs> that puts it in perspective. <laughs> I believe you can do it. Oh, gosh. So it does follow. What do you believe? I do believe, and I don't, you know, part of it, the more we learn, the more we don't know. That's a great truth. 
I believe that divine reality exists. I believe that this divine reality is our true nature. I believe it is this divine nature within us which motivates toward love and compassion, justice, peace. I believe in perennial wisdom. I believe when someone touches their spiritual self, they touch their real self, or vice versa. I believe in deep conversations with loved ones and friends. I believe in this chapel. I believe in so many wonderful people who've been associated with this chapel, both a little and a lot. I believe this chapel needs to represent many people and spiritual leaders to gather in community as stated in the original vision. This vision is greater than any one person or even belief. It's an ecumenical cooperative. And I believe this chapel can still become even a brighter lighthouse for more people in Aspen and way beyond. I believe in the future of faith, the age of the spirit. This is why I know why and what I believe. I offer it to you. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.